For those of you who haven't met yet, my name is uh, Blake. I'm one of your pastors and elders here at the Refuge Church, and I'm so excited to continue our Advent service here today. And last week, Pastor Paul uh, told us that Advent simply means arrival. It means arrival. So the arrival of who? Arrival of who? Right? I know y'all know the answer. I just want to hear y'all say it. How cool is it to hear a group of people coming together, all saying the name of Jesus together, right? One, two, three. Jesus. That is who we're here to celebrate. That is why we are gathering together today during Advent and also the other 51 weeks of the year. That is why we're here. This is what we get to do. We are celebrating Emmanuel, God with us. So I want you to go ahead and grab your Bibles. We are going to be in the book of Isaiah. So if you could, go ahead and grab your book of Bibles, open up to Isaiah, and we are going to be in Isaiah chapter 9. And you're just going to have to work with me as I fumble through holding a microphone and a Bible at the same time. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, one of our blue shirts can be able to get one for you. So if you don't have a Bible, you need a physical Bible, just raise your hand up high, and one of our blue shirts will get one to you. We got one in the back. And if you need a Bible, this is our gift to you, okay? So we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 6. And I know you guys just sat down, but if you could, please stand with me as we read the Word of God together. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of God given to us graciously by our Father in heaven. Please be seated. So traditionally, Advent follows four main components that you've probably seen us do here uh, over the years here at Refuge. Hope, that uh, Pastor Paul preached for us last week. Peace, joy, and love. And uh, I think Paul did a, a great job of showing us last week the hope that we have in Jesus. So this week, again, we, as we just read in Isaiah's prophecy, we're focusing on the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. So, is there any, uh, who, are, who are my history buffs in the room? Do I have any history buffs? One hand went up real quick, by the way. So, uh, history buffs? Okay. I've been told that when you reach 30, as a dude, you have to choose between reading history or smoking meats. So, uh, I see where all of our, uh, all of our history buffs for the rest of you, um, please invite me to your next cookout, okay? But uh, so I myself, I'm actually not, I haven't chosen that, that 30 birthday decision yet. I'm a few weeks behind, or a few weeks, yeah, right, a few years behind the mark on that. Uh, but, uh, but as I was studying for this sermon, I did come across a story in history that I think points to what we're going to be focusing on here this morning. So in the final months of World War II, many of America's top officials were reflecting on the painfully arduous road that they had been on over the course of this very long and painful war that now finally seemed to be behind them. The Nazis had been defeated, and Japan's strength had clearly been broken and was on its way to inevitable defeat. The American the first American Legion National Commander, Franklin Dollier, I had to look up how to pronounce that, by the way, Dollier, uh, was one of these men's, men reflecting on what had been 
uh, what was needed to bring peace about and was reflecting upon this war that had ravaged the world over these last several years. So frustrated that the world had found itself in yet another global conflict less than 50 years from the Great War, which is now called World War I, World War I Commander Dolger pondered what it would take for the human race to finally learn their lesson, a lesson that should have been learned but wasn't by the First and now Second World Wars. In June of 1945, Dolger wrote this, It is obvious that upon the conclusion of the present war, some instrumentality must be created that will assure the future peace of this world. This is the hope and desire of the nations now allied in this greatest of all wars to wipe out the ideologies that would destroy the democratic way of life that this nation has enjoyed since its founding. His frustration was summed up in this argument by writing, can this nation afford to ignore the experiences of 1917 and 1941? Our will for peace and our determination to avoid war in those years availed us nothing. So what was his proposal to bring about world peace? In that same article, Doyer goes on to make the American Legion's argument for universal military training for all men 18 and older, as opposed to the traditional stance of just building a perpetual, large standing army. His hope is that this level of citizen readiness would better prepare us for future conflicts and perhaps keep us from going into another global war. Commander Doyer wasn't the first to contemplate what's required to bring about peace. The pursuit of peace is as old as humanity itself. From the Garden of Eden to today, people have chased after peace. This is because no one ever questions the need for peace. I mean, have you, have you ever questioned the need for peace? When you look around at the world, is your first thought, this is nice. This is perfect. Is, is that really the, the first thought you have? And maybe, much like Commander Dolier, you've wondered what it would take to bring peace into this world. Or maybe on a much more common, much more smaller scale, you've surely pondered what would be required to bring peace to your world, in your life, your family, your marriage. I don't blame the commander's thinking or even his frustrations as a survivor of two global wars. But Dolier was off the mark. Because no amount of soldiers, no amount of military readiness will bring about peace at least not lasting peace. Would you agree? So we're left with the question, what will bring about lasting peace? So the good news is, is that it's a one-word answer. Jesus. In the passages we just read together, what did the prophet Isaiah call the coming Messiah? The Prince of? Prince of Peace. The only way to peace on earth, everlasting peace, is through the person of Jesus Christ. Now, you might be saying to yourself, that sounds great, but what does that, have to, what does that even mean? What does Prince of Peace even mean? And what does that have to do with us today? Because this was written centuries ago. Because from where I, you might even be thinking, where I'm sitting, I understand that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, but when I look around at the world, it doesn't seem very peaceful to me sometimes. Am I the only one that's wondered that? Who is this Prince of Peace, and does he really mean it? Well, we must first remember that one of the rules of proper biblical interpretation is that we have to keep in mind the original audience and what they would have thought when receiving the word for the first time. 
Or as Pastor Matt Chandler used to, uh, says, it cannot mean to us today what it did not mean to them then. So when Israel first heard these words from the prophet Isaiah, what is it that would have come up in their mind? So I want to, let's go back. We're going to look at Isaiah 9, and we're going to dig into it a little bit more and think about these things. What would this have meant to that people at that time? And then we're going to answer the question, what could that possibly mean to us in this time? So for unto us a child is born. So what child are we talking about? Y'all, y'all, Sunday school answer, y'all got that right in the holster ready to go, right? So who is this child? Jesus. So we all know that's the answer, right? We all know that unto us a child is born, a son is given. We know that the answer is Jesus. But we need to keep in mind that when this was written, this was about 700 years before this baby named Jesus was born. So to them, they didn't know the name of Jesus. What they did know is that God, over the centuries before that, had been promising to save his people and redeem them back to himself and bring them back into into glory and into the promised land, whatever it is that he was promising. He knows, they knew that they were, he was going to do that. So when they finally heard that a child was going to be born, this was incredible news to them. Because they had been hearing for a long, long time that God keeps his promises, and they believe that. But now they're getting more details. It's becoming clearer how God was going to do this. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Now, this might sound a little weird to us again, but the symbolism to them would have been very clear. It was very common for government officials then to actually wear an ensign on their shoulder that signified their loyalty, but also their rank and their, um, and their stature and their authority within the government. Think of, almost like think of military ribbons that we have today. So when they say that this new... Um, So this symbol, the Messiah Jesus, is the new authority of ruling power. So to get a glimpse of why this might have been a good thing for the Israelites uh, for that day, go back with me a little bit to verse 4 in uh, Isaiah chapter 9. It says, For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as the day of Midian. So we can see that the treatment they've been receiving under the current government, not to mention the treatment they've seen over the centuries leading up to then, wasn't exactly great. So what kind of ruler will this child be? If we keep reading, we see, And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I want to read that again, and I want you guys to read it with me, okay? And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see the difference from verse 4? From a burden on their necks to a wonderful counselor of support. From oppression of an uncaring ruler to the love of the everlasting God that we have the privilege of calling Father. From engaging in a bloody war like the day of Midian to being led by the Prince of Peace. What good news this must have been to a weary, weary people. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Say no end. Of the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Say forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He might do this. What does it say? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. 
Can you imagine how hopeful this would make the Israelite people? A people who have known countless years of displacement and oppression. I know we've been a little bit displaced as a church ourselves, but we, can, we know how, how frustrating that can be. But imagine for these people who have been displaced for, for years and years and years under regime, over, under careless regime. Very, very good news. Their hope of peace wasn't coming from universal military training, like, like Dolger would suggest. It was coming from a new ruler king himself. But again, you might be thinking, good for the Israelites, but what does this have to do with me? So if you can, flip over with me. to uh, Keep your finger in, in Isaiah, because we're coming back. Uh, we'll go to Romans chapter 11 with me. So in Romans chapter 11, starting in verse 13. Now I am speaking to you Gentiles, I being Apostle Paul, and Gentiles being anyone who's not Jewish, so most of us in this room I would, I would assume. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry, in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous, and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from dead? If the dough offered as the first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump, and there is the root holy, so is the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith, so do not become proud but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness of the severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. We'll stop there. So God in his kindness and mercy has allowed us Gentiles to be grafted in to the Israelite family tree. Now, do any gardeners in here that's ever grafted anything before? After it takes root, what happens to that branch? It's considered part of the plant, right? The grafting in means you're taking the same nutrients. You're, you're now part of that same organism, as, uh, unlike you were before. This means that the good news of Isaiah's prophecy doesn't only apply to the Jews of that day, the, uh, the first hearers of Isaiah, but also to any of us who, by faith in Jesus, are grafted in to the family of God. Is that good news? That is great, great news for us. So it's not only good news for them, but it's also good news for us. Sorry, I got behind on my slides. So Jesus is the only path to true peace. So the question is, what do we do about that? So what? What? If we know that, if we believe that, if we say that, I believe that through Jesus, peace is coming, but what about now? Again, the world isn't always peaceful, so what are we to do? Are we to just sit and wait and bide our time? We as the church, as people grafted into the family of God, continue to pursue, uh, continue the purpose of God's people by being a people set apart. Just like Israel was then, us as the church now, we get to continue that tradition of being a people set apart. We're not set apart in isolation. We're set apart for the world to see. Our goal is that when the world looks at Jesus' followers like us, 
they see radical hospitality and radical generosity, just like what they saw when they looked on the person of Jesus. And what they're looking for is a people who are wholly trusting on God. So we as the church, we get to be a glimpse of the love of God. We as the church, we get to be a glimpse of the heaven on earth, the kingdom that is at hand. Because remember, Jesus says not that the kingdom's coming. He says the kingdom is at hand. It's imminent. It's already starting to break forth. And we, part of Jesus' kingdom, the church, get to be part of the tip of the sword that is breaking through the darkness in this sometimes unpeaceful world. So as Christians, there's lots of ways that we get to help bring about the promised peace. And I want to be as practical as possible because this isn't just some academic exercise, okay? I want, we're going to, I want to try to give us things that we are able to do to be part of, the, of the, the peace that's breaking onto the scene. And there's many of the ways that we can help bring about this peace of God, but I want to point out three that we could start doing this week, even today. And the first is that we can help usher in the peace of God is to serve. So when we're looking at the life of Jesus, what did he do to usher in his new ruling kingdom? Did he go and strike down the king at the time and take over his throne? What did he do? He served. He washed feet. What we see is, this is Jesus saying this right now, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. Say serves. For who, for who is the greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Say serves. It is not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves. As a New Testament church, we get to be a shining light in a dark place. And just as Jesus did, we get to serve others. And in doing so, we get to be a, a glimpse of the love of the Father here on earth. So the question is, you don't see a peaceful world around you? What if you're one of the people that gets to help change that? What if you're someone who helps usher in the peace of God that he is promising to this world? So let me ask, I'm really asking this time, what are some of the ways this week that you could serve others and usher in the peace to a world that sometimes doesn't feel peaceful? What are some ways? Give me some examples. What are some ways we can serve others? Take someone dinner. We do that all the time. In our, we see that a lot in our gospel community groups. Absolutely. And bring a gift card, maybe even for the Navajos. Yeah, so... What else? What are some other ways we can serve that can show people the peace of God in this sometimes unpeaceful world? What's that? Forgive others, right? Yeah, sometimes the thing that we're not feeling peaceful about is someone not showing peace to us, but rather war or enemies, right? So by us showing radical forgiveness, just as Jesus did for us, by the way, that is another way that we can radically show the love of the Father. Because who are we to not forgive when we have been so radically forgiven? Amen? That's a great example. Absolutely. Some other ones. Give an encouraging word. Somebody you can see that they're just hurting, call them. Give an encouraging word. If someone comes to your mind, take that as a, a prompting of the Spirit to call them or text them to give them an encouraging word. Make care packages for the homeless. One of our GCs is doing that right now. There's lots of different ways that we can be servants 
just like Jesus was, to help usher in the peace that we see God promising to a broken world. So the question that I need to, we need to ask of yourself, though, maybe not out loud, but ask of yourself, what are you doing to help usher in the peace of Christ? Ask yourself this. When someone looks at my life, do they see radical hospitality? Do they see radical generosity? If the answer is no, it might be, some time, it might be time to make some changes. And I'm not saying that to bring condemnation on you, I promise. But I want to encourage you that maybe your church family could help you with that. That's one of the reasons we're here, is, to, is this ironing, sharpening iron, where we get to help train one another. We can help train one another to follow Jesus and his teachings, one of them being to serve others radically. Or maybe in your gospel community groups, you can train one another on what it looks like to serve radically, to show radical hospitality, radical forgiveness, radical generosity. And maybe what you can do is, if you're you're not able to say that confidently, simply ask the Lord to open your eyes to the opportunities around you. Because I promise that if you look for the opportunities to serve around you, there will be several within reach. I promise you that. So simply ask the Lord to open your eyes to them if you don't know where to start. Serving is one of the many ways we get to help usher in the peace of the kingdom of God. And when the world sees your radical hospitality and radical generosity, perhaps they will ask you about it. Them asking will give you an opportunity to demonstrate the second of the three ways we can help be a glimpse of the peace of the kingdom of God, which can be described in in 1 Peter. I'm going to put it up here on the screen. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Be ready to make a defense for the hope that is in you. In other words, when people notice your radical hospitality, when they notice your radical generosity or radical forgiveness, and they ask you about it, you get to tell them about Jesus. Now that may seem intimidating, but remember, as a Christian, you are filled with the Spirit, and Jesus told us that in that hour he'll give us the words to say. So don't be worried about that. Just be bold. And also remember that all you're doing is speaking from experience. You're telling a story of what Jesus did for you. When asked why you're so radically generous, your response could sound something like this. I simply want to give a little bit to others of what Jesus has given me. Jesus has been so generous with me, who am I not to be generous to others? Now you might have heard us say from this pulpit before that live a life that begs a gospel answer. But is that what all evangelism is? Is it simply living a life out loud so that people ask you about it? Is that what evangelism is? Kind of. Not, that's not the full answer. In fact, um, in Romans 10, uh, we, we read this. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they haven't believed? And how are they to believe in him if they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? 
So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Yes, we are to pursue godliness and Christlikeness, the sanctifying work of the Spirit inside us. And yes, people will inevitably notice how different our lives, off, our lives are when our deep faith produces good works. However, that isn't where our faith is supposed to stop. It should also lead us to increasingly tell more and more people about Jesus. Don't wait to be asked. Some might ask, but most won't. It's our job to tell people and give a defense of the hope that is in us. Find opportunities to tell anyone you can about Jesus. And I promise the opportunities won't be hard to find if you look for them, if you pray and ask the Lord for them. So earlier, I found my history buffs and my meat smokers in the room, but where are my movie buffs in the room? So you're a history and movie buff. So historical movies, go see Allie, okay? So yeah, so I, I'm, I'm also one of you, and of course, the best movie of all time being Shawshank Redemption. Fight me. So Shawshank Redemption's close, by the way. I'm sorry, uh, Interstellar is close. It's definitely in the top 40. Um, so... I'm one of you, too. I'm also one of these movie buffs. But I want to ask you, when you go see a really, really, really good movie, what you do the next day is you are really quiet and keep it to yourself, right? No, of course you can't. So Sam and I, we love going to see movies. And when we go see a good movie, you better believe that I'm going to be talking to someone the next day about this amazing movie, okay? You better believe that. And I just can't help sharing it with others. I want them to see how amazing this movie was because I really enjoyed it, and I want them to enjoy it too. I want them to feel the joy just like I was. So if there's something we love, when there's, we've had an incredible experience, there's just something within us that we can't help but share it with others. Now, for you, it might not be movies. It might be something else. It might be whatever. And Like, for example, if you look at, the, at uh, any SEC football team or any football fan, if you look at their social media timeline, you're going to see they can't just help but sharing all kinds of crazy, incorrect stuff most of the time, right? So yeah, so any, any football fan, they're going, their timeline is going to be full of all kinds of stuff that shows that they are loyal to, like, incorrectly Mississippi State maybe, or correctly Tennessee, whatever it is, whoever it is who they're loyal to, you're not going to ever question who their loyalty lies with, right? So the question is this. Are you the same way about your faith? Are you the same way about Jesus? Now, I'm going to step on a couple toes here, okay? So just, just roll with me. If I were to look at your social media timeline, would I see more about Mississippi State? Or would I see more about your faith? Would I see more about a movie you just saw? Or would I see more about Jesus? And again, I'm not saying that social media is the best arbiter of truth, because it by no means is, but it's a good diagnostic for us, is it not? It's a good way to tell what is the thing that I'm talking about the most can sometimes reveal what are the things that I most treasure in my heart. Are you the same way about the most incredible thing that happened to this world? Have you been so impacted by the gospel that you can't help but tell others about it? I hope so. But if you're not, ask the question, why not? Again, I'm not, I'm not saying this to heap condemnation on you, but it's a question of utmost importance. Because there's lots of reasons why we might not talk to others about Jesus. But there's one specific reason that we must consider. Because the answer to this question may change the trajectory of your entire life. 
your entire eternity? Is the reason you don't talk about Jesus because you don't really know him? In Matthew chapter 7, we see Jesus saying this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That is a sobering, sobering thought. Again, I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty, but I want you to take an honest look at your daily, weekly, your monthly life and ask, how often do others see Jesus in my life? Have you fully confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, which means that you are declaring that the only one that can save you and forgive you of your sins is Jesus and submitting your whole life, all of it, to him and his leadership? And do you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, which means that you believe with everything that you are, from your bones to everything that you are, that you believe that God raised him from the dead. And you're not just paying lip service that he is, um, but you truly believe that he is God and you truly believe that he is alive today. Have you done those things? Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? I pray that you have. Because short of that, no amount of church going, no amount of money, no amount of good deeds, no amount of hoping will bring you salvation. Nothing will. And perhaps the lack of peace you see in the world is really just a reflection of the lack of peace you have in your own heart. Without the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, the book of Ephesians describes your heart as dead in your sins. And it's impossible for a dead heart to be at peace. But when God, being rich in mercy, makes us alive together with Jesus, we can finally be at peace because we have been reconciled to our Creator. And when we confess and believe in Jesus, God doesn't see our brokenness and sin when He looks at us. Instead, He sees the righteousness bestowed upon us by His finished work of Jesus on the cross. A psalmist describes it as being clothed in his righteousness. I don't know about you, but to me, that sounds like the most peaceful place to be, being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And when you can confidently say that you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, you likely won't be able to keep yourself from telling others about it. So go and tell everyone about the hope that is in you. But if you feel that you have that lack of faith, if you still feel this, this angst inside you when, it, when the thought comes to mind of telling others about Jesus, then I want you to use the third of the three ways we can help usher in the peace to a hurting world. And that's simply to pray. Ask God to increase your faith. Maybe the prayer you need to pray this morning is a prayer of confessing sin. Maybe you've never truly confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you've never truly believed that in your heart that God raised him from the dead. But what if today is the day that that's no longer true? What if today is the day you are truly able to confess with a believing heart? 
What if the first prayer you pray today is one of confession and belief, and today you get to be grafted into the family of God? What if that is true for you today? Or what if that is true for someone you tell Jesus about tomorrow? How exciting is that to think of? If you feel the Spirit tugging at your heart as you hear me talking about that, please do not leave without talking to me or one of our other pastors about that. It would be our privilege to answer any questions that you have, talk to you about it, or even pray with you or teach you how to pray. It would be our privilege to do that. Please don't leave without asking us about it. And also, can we just acknowledge how amazing it is that we have this kind of access to our God? The creator of the universe, the king of kings, doesn't just tolerate us, but he invites us to bombard his throne room and talk to him and ask him for things. Like, how amazing is that? This is the God that we serve. That is so amazing that we get to talk to our creator. And what's more, in James chapter 4, we read that sometimes we don't have things because we simply don't ask for them. You might have heard, we have not because we ask not. There are lots of things to pray for, whether it be health, provision, thanksgiving, reconciliation, whatever it is. But if you don't see peace in the world, when is the last time you ask God for peace in the world? Now that might sound trite, that might sound too simplistic, but as Christians, we get to pray, and we get to pray like crazy. We get to pray as if God's listening. Because guess what? He is. God is listening. When we pray, the creator of the universe, your creator, is hearing your prayers. So let me give you an example to bring it a little bit closer to home. So when you see a word like this, what comes to mind? I know for me, it's mixed. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mixed emotions that come up when I think about the city of Memphis. I don't think it's any secret that there are problems in our city, in our metroplex, that there are, there's crime problems, there's, there's all kinds of things that we know are broken in the city of Memphis. So whether it be from petty crimes to, to heinous acts of violence and violation. And I know that there are several people in this room who's been affected by this crime that we see in Memphis. And I know that there's no shortage of complaints about the crime that we see in Memphis. And rightly so. We should be angered by the injustices that we see. As people of God, we are called to pursue, right, uh, pursue justice and seek justice. But let me ask you this, and again, this might step on some toes. Do you pray for Memphis as much as you complain about it? I agree, it's hard to think about the metro area we live in and not think about the lack of peace we often see. Watching the news night after night reminds us of the lack of peace we often feel towards the city that we call home. So when you see that news story again and again, are you driven to frustrated complaining or are you driven to bring that sorrow to the throne room of God? I'd encourage you to practice the latter more and more. And please, don't hear me minimizing this problem of crime. I'm really not. And to bring it even closer to home, you might be even further angered to learn that our church building, we have some storage containers outside. Early Monday morning, they were broken into and most of our speakers were stolen. Your church was sinned against in theft. Now, I've got to tell you, when I first heard it, my reaction wasn't prayer. My reaction was anger, violation. I was saddened thinking about this. But 
our gracious God reminded me of how Jesus often approached people in their sin. Not with anger, but with compassion. Our church was sinned against, but this theft, we must remember that even the thieves are loved by Jesus just as much as you are. And that's hard to say. It's a tough pill to swallow. And we, we must believe that God is able to change their hearts toward himself. Because after all, he changed my heart and your heart towards himself, did he not? No matter how big the problem of crime in Memphis is, do you believe that our God is bigger? If you said yes, do your prayers reflect that? The great evangelist Billy Graham had this to say on the matter. John Knox prayed, and the results caused Queen Mary to say, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the armies of Scotland. John Wesley prayed, and revival came to England, sparing that nation the horrors of the French Revolution. Jonathan Edwards prayed, and revival spread through the American colonies. History has been changed time after time because of prayer. I tell you, history could be changed again if people went to their knees in believing prayer. Even when times are bleak and the world scorns God, he still works through the prayers of his people. Pray today for revival. What if in 50 years our children's children get to read about the great revival of Memphis that had its beginnings in a small group of people fervently praying for our God to change the hearts of women in our city. It started with a small group of people fervently praying for God to do what only God can do. I know when I say that out loud, it sounds impossible, but we have a God who can do impossible things. Amen? Pray believing. And again, if that, if that prayer feels too big, maybe what we can do is pray the same prayer that was asked of Jesus. Lord, help me in my unbelief. Because our God is able. Say, God is able. Say, God is able to save Memphis. And I'm not saying that Memphis is all bad. There are incredible works of God that are happening in our city as we speak right now. But believe in the God that you serve. We worship the wonderful counselor the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And yes, we feel this tension of what's called the already not yet that Pastor Paul talked about a little bit last week. In that the work of Jesus on, on the cross, yes, it is finished. And he purchased us with his blood, redeeming his people back to himself. Yet pain still exists in this world because he has not yet returned to finish what he started and redeem creation back to its full, sinless, glorified state. We, the people of God, Jesus Church, we get to be a glimpse of heaven on earth as we help usher in the peace through things like serving, telling others about Jesus, and praying like crazy. So to close our time together, I'm going to ask that we spend a few moments in prayer together, praying for peace that we so desperately want in this world, that we so desperately want God to answer what he's promised to us. But we know that God always keeps his promises. Amen? So either by yourself or if you want to grab a couple of people around you, I'm going to lead us through a short time of prayer as we're praying through these things, okay? So go ahead and stand up and grab some people around you.
or just uh, sit low in your chair right now, and we're going to pray for things together. So we're going to start big and come in small. We're going to start with our world. I'm going to pray, but you pray as, as you feel led. Lord, God, thank you for this world that you've given us. God, thank you for being a God who didn't just save a person or a family or a city or a nation, but you sent your son so that the world might be saved, God. You were a God who was able to do whatever you want to do, including saving the whole world, God. We know that that's exactly what you came to do, is to, is to give us salvation because of what Jesus has done on the cross, Lord, for any who would confess and believe. So God, when we look around and we see the pain in this world, God, please continue to do what only you can do and usher in the peace that you have promised. And give us the eyes to see those glimpses of hope, God. And God, give us the boldness to be the peace that you've offered this world. God, thank you for our city. God, the, the, the greater Memphis area, Lord, thank you for what this, this, this place that we get to call home. And God, I pray that even though the crime that we see around us, Lord, God, I pray that you allow us to, to be a people, a, a people set apart, a light in a dark place, that, that no matter what great crime or what great darkness comes before us, God, that we are able to push through with the light and the truth and the good news that Jesus rescues sinners. Because we know that no amount of police, no amount of, of military readiness, no matter what it is, God, is going to save this city, God. Just like it won't save any city. But we know that the only answer to peace that people are truly looking for is the peace that they're looking for in their own hearts, which absent from you is impossible. So God, we pray for the people in this city. They would see that you are the answer they're looking for. God, we want to pray, pray specifically for the people that broke into our storage containers and stole our speakers, God. God, please remind us that they are loved just like we are. Remind us that their sin is no more heinous than ours. But God, I pray for them specifically that, that someone is able to come into their lives and, and, and bring conviction or bring whatever it is pointing them to you, Jesus, God. But God, we pray that we are able to see them in heaven and rejoice that they, just like us, are a sinner saved. God, so please, let them feel your presence, God. Let them feel your conviction. But God, save them just like you've saved us. God, please be with our families. God, maybe there's some in this room that do not feel peace when they think about their family. God, I pray that you guide them to what is needed to bring about that peace, God. First and foremost, being Jesus present in their own hearts and the hearts of their family members. God, be with our families. Minister to our hurting families, the families that do not feel peace at this time. God, know that you are the answer. And God, don't let it just be this, this platitude that we say, that Jesus is the answer. God, I pray that we are able to, over the next weeks and months, able to truly experience what it means for Jesus to heal families. Let people be able to explain to others how you've done that to them and their family. And God, lastly, we pray for our own hearts. God, for those of us who, who know who you are, God, please remind us of the rich mercy that you've given us, God. Remind us that we are clothed in the righteousness of God. Remind us that you clothe us, God, not because of anything that we offer you, God, but because you simply choose to love us. 
And God, for people that may be in this room or, or people in our workplaces or schools or um, teams, whatever it is, God, that don't know you, God, I pray that we are able to find those opportunities to tell them about Jesus, how he is the only true Prince of Peace that can bring peace in their lives. And God, when they hear it, let it be good news to them. Thank you for who you are, Lord. We pray this all in your beautiful name. Amen.